Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Hey, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics podcast with Mike Lewis and Doug Battle, brought to you by the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. Uh, today we are continuing our NFL preview based on a new metric called QB Wins. But before that, Doug, I think the obvious thing is that the college football landscape has continued to evolve. It has. It's going to be, look, I don't know. It's, you know, where does this all end up? It it seems like it's heading towards two conferences and it's just a matter of who's going to be. What's what's that kid's game, right? Where they sort of walking around and everyone tries to get the chair. Musical chairs. Musical chairs. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. That. You know, who's going to be left out, right? I mean, you know, UCLA and USC going to the Big Ten. I don't know. Was Texas already fully committed to joining the SEC or was that? Yeah, just yeah, they've been. That? Yeah. So, so who's, who's next? I mean, you think about the, think about the Pac-10 and Washington, Oregon, Stanford, Cal Berkeley, some attractive candidates left. But, you know, when's someone going to make the move? And I was thinking about this because, you know, the, the two leagues seem to have very different strategies. The Big Ten seems to go for TV markets. The SEC seems to go for on-field football prowess. Right. It's like, you know, the Big Ten's got a snap up, I guess, like Miami and maybe Boston College next. But, you know, if you're a Utah or a Wake Forest, you got to be scared. You got to be scared. And uh, first off, is to answer the question, who's next? I think about Clemson. I've always felt like Clemson, maybe Florida State. Those teams belong in the SEC. They do not yeah, belong in that. See, ACC. Clemson's an SEC, not a Big Ten team. Right? Yeah, not a Big Ten. No way. That'd be weird. That'd be yeah. weird. I I think it's going to two conferences. It, whether there will be more conferences, of course, but two de facto conferences that actually two matter. conferences with twelve with two divisions each, twelve teams in each division, forty eight teams, perhaps. College football is going to be like this. It's going to be like the NFL with the AFC and the NFC being the SEC and the big 16 or 24, whatever it ends up being. And then there's also going to be the USFL, and that's going to be like the ACC, and there's going to be the XFL. There's going to be all these auxiliary (laughs) leagues, the Canadian Football League. And that's going to be the teams that don't make the cut. And they're all going to be in one league. It's technically going to be one league. 
But we all know it's coming down to two conferences, and those conferences will have so much pride, and it will become such a rivalry, I think, because if the Big Ten ever gets one, they're going to, they already, I already know, like, the Ohio State fans always feel like the SEC's overrated. They get all the hype, they get all the love from ESPN, blah, 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 and, and vice versa. I, I know SEC fans feel like that about Ohio State. And so you, you fill up those conferences with all the good teams. It's, I think it'll be fun, Mike. I do. Yeah. I, look, I, gonna be fun to watch i don't know i I do think we're rapidly gonna move to the era of look frankly we're already been there with the area of the era of professional opponents and you know my illini rutgers rutgers and illinois aren't gonna win the new big 10 you know that's that's a once in a century proposition at this point unless something you know really changes dramatically and so you're you're gonna have you know, it, it, it your, your college football is going to change. Maybe in some ways it's going to get better, but the chance of breaking through and have it going on a run, look, we've probably already lost that 10 years ago, but it's going to get worse and worse. I, mm-hmm. I can't even imagine a scenario where Illinois now, Illinois is not like, think, think about it, but you can add basketball to this as well. Now UCLA is going to come through Chicago trying to pull in college, you know, high school basketball talent, right? The haves and the have-nots are quickly going to, you know, there's going to be some additional like segmentation within those super conferences. Absolutely, Mike. So that's been a big story, non-NFL story. <laughs> oh, can I, can I throw in one more thing, too? Because yeah. part of the, the one thing that amuses me about this idea, too, Notre Dame, you know, who refuses to join the Big Ten, Notre Dame is an SEC school. Does that sound right to you? The Notre Dame women's volleyball team getting on a plane to go to Starkville, Mississippi? Mm. Yeah, it seems odd, doesn't it? Well, you also think about the SEC being the Southeastern Conference. <laughs> <laughs> Notre Dame doesn't really fit the mold there. So with football, I would almost expect them to end up being a, a Big Ten team. But we could have two conferences and Notre Dame, and Notre Dame gets like an automatic playoff bid simply because they have no competition. I have no idea. Yeah, I have I mean, no idea. The, the legacy, that that the halo around that brand, I, I don't know that Notre Dame can continue to kind of play that game. I, think I don't think they can. Up. And I like Notre Dame fans. I've had two very pleasant experiences with Notre Dame fans. Not, not specific fans, but with like an entire fan base at a game and just constantly being like, wow, these people are great. And they do have a great tradition and they do have, they have a great campus and they, they take pride in it. And it's, I, I like their whole thing. I know a lot of people like to hate on Notre Dame. I like, I like Notre Dame, but I, I do think they have to give up that game, especially with where things are headed with these mega conferences forming. So college football, big stories this week, NBA off the court stories. I think the NBA offseason this year has already been more exciting than the season was. We've got Durant requesting a trade, like I predicted or, or mentioned might be a possibility last week. DeJounte Murray from the Spurs being traded to the Hawks, pairing with Trey Young. And the Hawks all of a sudden are about to move away from being finals favorites in the East, as are like four other teams. And the East, more Kyrie Irving drama. The NBA offseason, I'll say it, this year it's more exciting than the NBA season the NBA playoffs were. I think that's probably true. I don't think that's ever a good sign for a league. Yeah. It, well, it always strikes me as professional wrestling-like when the the, <laughs> the, exterior, 
the, you know, the stuff on the periphery is more interesting. Where do you, where do you think Kyrie ends up? I have to admit, you know, I love him as a player and oh, as yeah. a brand. I've kind of lost track of where he's going. Well, I said it earlier this week, Mike, in our, our last podcast. Go ahead and buy you that Kyrie Lakers jersey. I just see okay. that happening. I don't, I don't necessarily want that to happen, but I could see it. The Lakers fans, Lakers fans are my favorite fan base because they're so passionate not about the players that they have but the players that they want to have they're constantly petitioning for trades on twitter and this week when the news broke about kevin durant potentially leaving brooklyn on twitter the top trends were like ad for kd kd and lebron lakers trade for Dejounte Murray, Lakers trade. It was all these potential trades that people were just floating out there that were trending on Twitter. Like so many people were talking about these theoretical trades that weren't even rumored because the fans love to play GM, and that's where I think the NBA offseason is actually really exciting for fans, if, even of teams like the Lakers that are already pretty stacked. And so I could actually see it happening with LeBron being the GM and Westbrook having his struggles. I don't know. I just I could see some major shakeup in, in Los Angeles, and who's to say Kyrie isn't the player that ends up there? It's hard to imagine Kyrie going to the Detroit Pistons or some team where we're not going to be seeing him. As much as I wouldn't want him if I were the Lakers or if I were Golden State Warriors or the Milwaukee Bucks or Boston Celtics, I see him ending up on a somewhat of a contender. You know, the other thing that occur, the other thought that occurs to me with this story is how difficult it is to be the second brand in the city and make the move to the first brand. I mean, think about everything the Nets had going for them. Gosh. And brutal, you know, and, and the Knicks are still going to be charging higher prices next year and putting more people in the stadium. And then the Nets are, I guess it sounds like going to be in rebuilding mode. The Nets are the most talented team to not win an NBA finals. There's been a lot of, a lot of competition in that department over the years, but Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving all at this point in their careers is just unfair. And they didn't even make a finals with that group. Of course, injuries played an enormous role. And in fact, both seasons, neither season were they healthy together come crunch time, come the playoffs. But trading James Harden, who was unhappy, but for Ben Simmons, who ended up not playing and the year that was probably potentially your last window of having those players together, Durant and Kyrie Irving, that was a colossal failure on behalf of the Nets, in my opinion. And it's coming back to bite them as many predicted it would. Oh, you think about the story that fans remember from the era of different players, right? And the, the, the stories that the Nets fans will remember will be truly tragic in a way in, in terms of you know, they're not going to be basketball memories. They're going to be hardened for Simmons and Kyrie not getting vaccinated and Durant being, you know, it's total disaster. And yeah. uh, Knicks fans are loving it, by the way, from what I've seen, the Knicks fans who have not been relevant <laughs> in the last, oh, I don't know. They how were, long. they were relevant for about 15 minutes, two years ago, right? Or a yeah, year yeah, ago in the playoffs. Trey is Julius Randall was the new yeah. LeBron James or something, but they're still not relevant. In basketball terms, but they are celebrating this like they just won the NBA Finals because all of a sudden, Brooklyn's put back in their place. And I got to say, Brooklyn is still better positioned for the future because this isn't free agency. They get to trade Kevin Durant 
and Kyrie Irving potentially, the return that they're going to get at least for Durant will be, I would imagine they're going to go the draft pick route and just go full rebuild and try to get as many first rounders as they can. They're going to, they're going to have some assets moving forward. And so the Nets organization, I still feel like it's better position unless the Knicks sign someone in free agency huge or acquire a player like Durant uh, this offseason via trade. We'll see what happens. I know Knicks fans, they're kind of like the Lakers in that sense where they always think they're getting the guy. They When LeBron went to Miami, I remember all the Knicks, Knicks nation thought that, uh, that LeBron was going to be a Nick. And so it's been that way for forever. They're overdue for something. I still, I don't know that they're positioned right now for a player like Durant. Okay. All sounds good. Um, okay. So to our topic of the day, yes. or the topic of the summer, the AFC West preview, uh, you know, we so we've gone through the AFC East, the North, and the South. Uh, some really good stories in the to look forward to in the East. Amazing stories in the North, at least by my way of thinking. The South a little bit, a little bit less so. A little bit, not not a lot of national excitement probably coming out of the AFC South. The AFC West is an interesting one to me, but I'm going to admit, Doug. So I, I my projections for number one in the AFC West are the Kansas City Chiefs with 11 wins. Okay. Now, that's that's a great forecast. The way these forecasts work, there's always going to be a little bit of compression, sort of a tighter range. You know, you're not going to, the way these models work, you're not going to see someone that projected to 13 or 14 wins. Yeah. just doesn't tend to happen. But that being said, I feel like I should have more excitement about the Kansas City Chiefs. But, Doug, I look at this and I go, this is the same thing as every other year in that city. They've got a truly elite quarterback in Patrick Mahomes. Maybe didn't have a great year last year by my metric. But in general, this is he's a plus three guy, which is as good as it gets unless your last name is Rodgers. And so, you know, the, the Chiefs will continue to be competitive in that division. I guess to me, one of the interesting things is, and, and you see this now, right? The Chiefs are going to draft. They're going to draft late in the. They're they're going to draft around pick thirty or thirty. You know, every year that's going right. to that's going to catch up with them. They're always going to play the tougher schedule. They had you know they they moved off uh, his top receiver, the cheetah is that his nickname with his yellow shoes, right? And so does that bring them back? And and so for me, one of the background stories here is: is this where you really do see true greatness, true true elite quarterbacks? when they can keep you at the top of the division for consistently for a long, long time, you know, a la Tom Brady in, in in New England. Um, But to me, it's like the Mahomes and chief story. Some, in some ways it's the same thing every year. Now they win the super bowl or it's a little bit of a disappointment. Yeah. I, I, I still feel like the chiefs are positioned well to to be the New England Patriots, that team that is constantly in contention. I will say probably the, the biggest caveat to that is Patrick Mahomes, if you've seen his contract, really he went from early in the, in their years with him, he's on a rookie contract, so they're not paying him too much, and then they have all this talent around him. Now he's eating up such a significant amount of the salary cap that it will be a challenge to continue to compete at the level they have been. For, for the reasons that, you know, you kind of mentioned that the NFL has, or you touched on the fact that the NFL has 
competitive balance structures in place, whether it's the draft, whether it is the salary cap. And Kansas City now has that challenge with the draft being one of the later teams. And then with the salary cap having an elite quarterback, you got to pay the elite quarterback, and that's less money for everyone else. That means it's going to be harder to have as good of an offensive line, as good of receivers, as good of a defense. So Kansas City's in that position. I still think, until proven otherwise, I expect them to to be a contender to to win that division every year. The the one aspect we haven't discussed here is Andy Reid. And you've talked before, Mike, in the previous podcasts along these subject lines, the importance of the coach pairing with the quarterback. Andy Reid, at one point, was considered to be kind of like a Jeff Fisher, a guy that was always going to have a job as a head coach in the NFL but could never get the job done. When he went to Kansas City, something changed. He put together every good play he had ever seen against his team and every offensive coordinator that he had ever had who had a creative idea. He made a playbook out of that. Kansas City has been one of the better coach teams in the NFL since Andy Reid arrived, since Andy Reid was paired with Patrick Mahomes. And I think that that, just like with Belichick Brady, a lot of other things changed in New England over the years. Different running backs, different receiver groups, different defenses, different le- They had defenses that were top of the league. They had defenses that were the bottom of the league. But the the most important thing, that pairing of the quarterback and the coach, is what kept them consistent. And I think that's what Kansas City has going in its favor moving forward. Yeah, I think that's true. I, I pulled up Mahomes' contract. It's kind of a strange beast. I mean, it's you know, it seems like the standard NFL contract, quarterback contract has been, you know, let's call it $150 million for four years with the vast majority of it guaranteed. You know, so the Chiefs with Mahomes went for ten years and four hundred and fifty million, <laughs> but still only one hundred and forty-one million guaranteed. So it's yeah. it's a little bit of a strange beast in that it's a contract that is guaranteed to not play out. You know, it's not going to run its course. If he's still playing at the top of the league, then he's going to be vastly underpaid in three four years. And if he's, you know, falling on hard times, they're not going to continue to pay him, right? So it's a, it's it's sort of a strange thing that he that he did, but it's, you know, he is the face of their franchise, so it works yeah. for. It's almost strange to me that he signed that deal, that because he's he's probably means more to Kansas City than Kansas City means more to him, because you know up until someone else knocks him off that, you know, knocks him off that that pedestal. He is the next, and I'm not even going to say he's the next guy because I don't believe that. He's the next one of the guys, mm-hmm. right? There's usually th- two, three elite, truly elite quarterbacks in the league. He's in that group. I don't know that he's actually the the best young guy, and that's 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 sort of an unfortunate hot take, probably, right? Yeah, and I, I'm on Sports Track right now. Another interesting thing about this contract and many quarterback contracts in the NFL, you see this all the time. He's going to be paid more as his career progresses, although he's probably the most valuable he'll ever, I would imagine right now, the most valuable he'll ever be at 27 years old, 27, 28. Yeah, with, with a lot of his game in his legs, right? I mean, so there's, right. there's truth to that. So, so I mean, of course, there's the exceptions like the Tom Brady's who are playing, but a guy like Mahomes who... Yeah, but the, I mean, what did Brady run at the combine? Was it like a 5-2 or something, right? I mean, right, he's it's never relied... Thing. Never relied on his athleticism to that degree. 
Mahomes will be making significantly more when he's 36 years old than he is right now. That just shows like the the Chiefs, it's going to get harder and harder for them moving forward every year. Well, I mean, looking at that, when he's 36, the contract would pay $38 million in base salary, a $14 million roster bonus, just cap hit of $52 million. The way that market is going, $50 million by then, you know, will be. We'll, we'll put him in the middle of the pack of, of the quarterbacks in the league, right? So it's not That's gonna, a great point. That's yeah. a great point. Like, there's inflation, and then there's what happens for the demand of quarterbacks in the NFL and how much they're paid every new contract. It seems every offseason, whichever quarterback gets their new franchise deal becomes the highest-paid quarterback in NFL history. So locking down a guy like Mahomes for 10 years, you're locked into more or less today's rates. I'm sure there's obviously a level of speculation as to what the value will be moving forward. But maybe the longer term you can get for, for a franchise like Kansas City, the better. Now, the other thing, and, and this is almost a little bit of a, it's not really a personal thing, but based on the numbers I've looked at, the data I've looked at, and I'll fully admit I'm a bit of an outlier on this, you know, I truly do believe that the in the NFL – it is the quarterbacks that make the receivers and the running backs and not vice versa. Mm -hmm. So Tyreek Hill moving on is an interesting thing for me to take a look at because the, the projection I'm going to make is that Mahomes' numbers are not going to change much, but I bet you Hill's numbers do decline quite a bit as he moves on to Miami. And I would I'll, expect that as well. Yeah, and so I'll, I'll put that out there as sort of a, a small little empirical test of some observations. I'll say when Kansas City drafted McCole Hardman from Georgia, who I'm biased to, I've had him on my podcast. I watched him in college, but I remember feeling like his skill set is so similar to Tyreek Hill's that I felt at the time when they drafted him, at some point, Tyreek Hill, they're going to let him go and let someone else pay him a bunch of money. And they'll just bring in the new young guy that runs the 4-3-40 and run the same routes and have more or less the same production. Of course, it's not – and I'm not saying McCole Harmon's going to be that guy, but they've got – they've been drafting receivers consistently over the years. Young, talented, really speedy guys, and I think they're well-positioned. It might be more of a committee approach than it was before. You see that a lot in the NFL. But I've seen it time and time again where receiver moves on and the quarterback actually has more success the next year with quote unquote like technically less talent, but a committee of really talented guys that he's spreading the ball around to still gets the job done. So either way, I think Kansas City or I think Patrick Mahomes, I would expect him to fare much better than Hill in, in this scenario. We'll see that. Well and and my prediction is, you know, maybe something evolves next year, but in two years there will be a new superstar receiver in Kansas City that is viewed as being at the very top of the league, right? It's right. it's almost like there's always a superstar receiver associated with these quarterbacks, right? And right. we'll see. So in well, some ways, the real opportunity next year is that Kansas City wide receiver room to become Mahomes' guy. And historically, there's, there's a lot of precedent for that. I think of the Colts yeah. when Peyton Manning was there. It was Marvin, Marvin Harrison, Harrison, right? Marvin Harrison, Marvin Harrison, best guy yeah. in the league. And then... Oh, he's old and, and not good anymore, gone or whatever. Reggie Wayne, Reggie Wayne, Reggie Wayne. <laughs> and then I, I even like the Green Bay Packers have had a similar similar scenarios unfold with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. He's had a number of number one receivers throughout the years. Every single one of them 
whether it's Greg Jennings, who was thought to be maybe the best receiver in the league at one point, to Devontae Adams, or I mean, it's it's just guy after guy. Yeah. They they just rotate them in, and the next guy, it, might, it could be a third round pick, doesn't matter. They come in, and all of a sudden, everybody thinks they're one of the top ten receivers in the league. They're getting they're working with Aaron Rodgers and a great offense. It's bound to happen. So we'll we'll see. But I think I think you're onto something there, Mike. Okay, Doug, at number two in the AFC West, and this is a good rivalry, right? We've got, I've got the, and, and I can't help it, you know, maybe it isn't a rivalry anymore. The Oakland Raiders, Kansas City, you know, following the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, of course, it's the Las Vegas Raiders. I don't love uh, Derek Carr, uh, statistically. When I look at the numbers, Carr seems to be trending downward. I have him as a two-win contribution in 2019, 1.25 in 2020, and down to 0.7 wins in 2021. So a guy that, and again, you know, you look at these quarterback contracts, they're all sort of similar, uh, you know, in terms of the 120, 130, 140 million dollars. I see Carr as a slightly above average guy. You know, in, in some ways he falls into this, and I kind of hate that I'm saying this. It's almost like the Kirk Cousins kind of quarterback, mm-hmm. where he's above average but he's not going to take you to the promised land it's hard to imagine isn't it and so i've got the raiders forecasted at nine and a half wins and second place in the in the afc west i think this is where this division gets very interesting because like last year chiefs first raiders second with 10 wins but you look at what's behind them the raiders you have what seems like a regressing quarterback the Los Angeles Chargers, Justin Herbert, seems to be on the rise. Seems to be one of those guys who might be the future of the league. They're right there knocking on the door. The Denver Broncos, obviously we'll talk about this in a minute, but acquiring Russell Wilson and looking at QB wins, like they have the potential to turn things around into. So the Raiders are second in the AFC West right now, but they could very, very easily fall to, to last dead last in the AFC West depending on quarterback play and Derek Carr hasn't given Raiders fans a lot to be super optimistic about with the trajectory of his career in recent years. Obviously, there's other factors at play, but this will put the QB wins stat to the test and and also the trajectory nature. Have we seen quarterbacks reverse their trajectory to to go negative for several years and then all of a sudden turn it around and and become positive? It seems to be a linear trend in almost all these situations. So my plan with this metric, I've just done it with three years of data, is to continually add more data. So when we do this next year, I'll have gone back, I think, probably two, three more years, and I'll have another additional additional season from the 2022 season. Um, and that will give some more insight into the, the tendencies people have as they progress. But, you know, it's just such a tough thing, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, some of these young guys... You know, they improve by a game every year for the first couple of years and then reach maturity in about, you know, year three or four. But other guys, you know, Lamar Jackson, you know, in some ways it's the running quarterbacks that mm-hmm. really complicate this because often they they have these terrible declines. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, I, I so my, my quick answer is I'm just not sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'll also tell you this, Doug. The Raiders to me, are one of the most misguided brands in the NFL right now. 
And I don't think Derek Carr helps. It's sort of a he, he doesn't he, he doesn't produce any excitement or any sort of comp- he's not Joe Burrow, let's say, in yeah. terms of the excitement he's bringing to this. And so the Raiders went from again this literal pirate ship, just win baby, with the black hole to a stadium that, while it's very impressive looking as you drive down the strip, seems very shopping mall like. From what I yeah yeah from what I've seen, the the Raiders don't seem they they seem to have left all of that all of the previous brand image in Oakland and turned into. Something that you know the the Mighty Ducks by Disney kind of, of approach to. They sports do feel branding. Disney. They do feel Disney. I will say, the one thing they've done right is keep those uniforms, keep that logo, keep the name because it's it, almost it's, worse though because it's <laughs> it doesn't match. <laughs> it's true, it doesn't match. But I will when I see those uniforms, I it still brings back their history and and their historic brand. Of course, you zoom out a little bit and you see the stadium and you feel like, okay, why are they playing, like you said, at a shopping mall um, or at a casino? Or or it doesn't feel like football and it certainly doesn't feel like Oakland football. No. Okay, Doug, so moving along. Number three, and look, I'm projecting them. It's a tight division. So I've got after the, after the Chiefs is a tight division. I've got the Raiders at nine and a half wins. And then I've got the Chargers at 8.6 and the Broncos at 8.4. So, wow. you know, less than a game sell, you know, two, three, four, almost a little bit of a toss up. Uh-huh. So here's, here's what I think I think in some ways. Yeah. I like Justin Herbert a lot. Yes. I like him more after I looked at the numbers. He seems to be one of these guys that came into the league very good and is getting better. What was his his rookie year QB wins? I have him at 1.4 in 2020 and 1.6 in 2021. So 1.4, that's that's the that's, best I've heard for a rookie so it, far. It may well be in the I, I think it is in terms of the last three years. Okay. And 1.6 is a, again, this is you know, a win contribution of two wins really is fairly exceptional in all this. So if he continues to improve and if he becomes a you know, a three-win guy, then suddenly, you know, things get kind of kind of different in the AFC West. Now, I can tell you from like really crunching these numbers, I do not like the San Di- San Diego. Sorry, I do not like the Los Angeles Chargers as a team at all. Uh-huh. Herbert seems to be one of these guys that is holding his team. He, he's sort of putting that team in a slightly different level than they would be if they had an average quarterback, right? And so he could very well be the next elite talent in terms of his development. And so I, again, this is one of those ones where, because I look, I don't, I'm not going to watch a lot of Chargers football living here mm-hmm. in Atlanta, but the numbers really kind of jumped out and said, this is a very, very good quarterback prospect to the point where, and I'm sure they're already thinking about it, the Chargers probably want to think about locking him down oh, yeah. for. A long time. Oh, yeah. And Justin Herbert, it's almost a shame he's playing for the Chargers because the Chargers are, I know it's up for debate, but they're more or less viewed as second fiddle in Los Angeles, a city that already is second fiddle. That's like third. uh, 
Yeah. Third, yeah. Third football, ukulele, football's right? third ukulele in, in Los Angeles. And so if he were playing in New York for the Giants, if he were playing in Dallas, I think he would get a lot more coverage because what he's done his first two years and his, I mean, he is the prototype physically. He's everything that, you know, high school scouts thought Jacob Eason was going to be, interestingly enough, in the same class, a little bit overlooked. And obviously had a great career at Oregon, but there was still question as to how it would translate because of the nature of their offense. But it's translated phenomenally well into the NFL. He's a likable kid. I I don't know. I I like Justin Herbert with the numbers. I like him with the eye test. Like all things point to Justin Herbert having success. I do not, like you said, like the Chargers, I'm concerned it's going to be a situation much like Matt Stafford in Detroit, much like Andrew Luck in Indianapolis, where you've got a guy who has the potential to be an all-time great and just does not have the supporting cast, whether it's coaching, whether it's players, whether it's roster management from, from the general manager. I don't know. I expect him to be in Los Angeles with the Chargers for a very long time for the reasons that you mentioned before. Um, and so it, it's he's got to break through like Joe Burrow did last year. He's got to carry a team and do something that's almost never been done, which is single-handedly will your team to the Super Bowl. Of course, last year was the exception with Joe Burrow and the Bengals. Okay, so I know you're more in tune that you have more contacts and more friends and LA how do people decide which team they're going to root for they don't root for teams because they don't care about Uh. football Uh, I don't know of the people I know in LA like industry people I I don't know a single football fan I don't know anyone that would say they pull for the Rams or the Chargers and so there apparently is a crowd that goes to those games and that follows those teams I haven't in- interacted with them. It's not like Atlanta. You know, in Atlanta, you look around and every other guy's got a Falcons jersey on at the bar. Everybody, you can pretty much talk well, the local let, team with anyone. Let me ask you that. And maybe, maybe it's just a completely different market. Like in, uh, in Chicago, you know, the, the Cubs are the North Side team. They're also the team that was on WGN. So they're sort of the, the bigger market team. The Sox, the Sox were the South Side team, you know, where the their their fan base were kind of the the Irish and Italian guys that lived on the South Side, the the cops and these kind of yeah. you know, the kids that went to Catholic school. That was sort of their the breakdown of the market. Is there any breakdown in LA or it's just like, <laughs> I, oh, I like the powder blue. Yeah. And I, mean, I remember the Rams from Lawrence McCutcheon in the seventies. Yeah, I would say the difference between this situation and the Chicago baseball is that the Rams and the Chargers play in the same stadium and that's in Inglewood. Whereas the Cubs and the Sox play on different parts of town. So they kind of have their territory marked. It's no man's land in LA. It's not, there's not a Santa Monica team and a Burbank team or a Malibu team and a West Hollywood team. It's they're both in Inglewood, which is, I think playing in that same location is not helpful. And I I think it'll be interesting to see Mike, because we always talk about what a challenge it is for these, these cities that have two teams. I wonder how much the stadium is a factor, the jets and the giants, the Clippers and the Lakers time and time again, it's these teams playing the same stadium and the, the Clippers are going to break off from the Lakers. They're building their own stadium. They're going to have, they're going to be in a different, a little bit of a different area, and I'll be interested to see if they're able to have more of a regional dominance 
than they've had playing in, in downtown Los Angeles. But the Chargers and the uh, Los Angeles Rams, particularly with the Rams just winning the Super Bowl, I think the the default, if you're going to pull for someone, would be to just pull for the the winner out of the two. Yeah, you know, the, I think this also highlights Herbert. Also highlights the trickiness of NFL contracts, right? Because I think we could also looking at the numbers and looking at the Chargers and the quality of that team, you can imagine a scenario where it would make sense for Herbert to test free agency, right? But he's going into, I think, his third year, and so the the Chargers can actually control him for three more years. And so the Chargers find find themselves in a position where they can give this guy $100 million in guaranteed money three years before anyone else can. Right. right? And you think about the nature of NFL careers and the violence of the game, and it's it's almost hard to imagine any really promising quarterback going to free agency and moving from their original city just because they can get that $100 million or $140 million two, three years earlier than they can. You know, it's almost like the free agency is a little bit of a mirage for these guys. Yeah, I think it, it's a good thing and a bad thing. It's, you look at the NBA, so many players leave the smaller market teams for the big market teams, and, and there's a competitive balance issue there. And it, it's a bummer for the small market teams. Whereas in the NFL, like the Detroit Lions, not saying that's like a, the tiniest market or anything, but they're able to keep a guy like Stafford. Indianapolis keeps a guy like Andrew Luck. And I think Los Angeles, which isn't a small market, but the Chargers perform like a small market team as far as their marketing and all the rest. They, they're going to be able to keep Justin Herbert for that same reason. So I think it keeps great players from going and playing on the best teams, which could hurt the league. But I also think it's good for the for the individual towns, individual sports towns. It's like no, if Le- LeBron never had the opportunity to leave Cleveland, basically. I think that would have been great for Cleveland, and but maybe the NBA wouldn't have had as much engagement for the finals without LeBron in them, with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh and company playing against the Spurs no, dynasty. I think you're right. The NFL is such that, there's always that kind of hope, and it doesn't matter if you're. I mean, like, there's you know, Green Bay has three hundred thousand people living there, right? In some ways, it doesn't make any sense that that market should exist, but they can win Super Bowls, right? And we're not, we're the, not seeing quarterbacks leave yeah. until very late in their careers, where it's right. questionable as to whether it's even worth it for the team. Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, late in his career. Matt Stafford late in his career. These guys have had success. Matt Ryan most recently. But no, for the most part, if you draft a quarterback and they pan out, you're probably going to have them for 10 years. Yeah, I mean, the only times when they leave are almost when it's mutual, right? When the, the team wants to do a, a youth movement. Right. Uh, find the next guy. Okay, Doug, at number four, and you already referenced this, and yes. this is a guy, this is a guy that I find myself, I think a little bit at odds with the conventional wisdom of the fan and that is i think a lot of fans in the media love 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 russell wilson i have him at a guy that's worth about i don't know over the last three years worth between let's say three quarters of a win so an above average guy but not a franchise making quarterback in any way shape or form 
Wilson's contract situation is also interesting. He did a hundred and four. Again, these these deals almost always seem to be a hundred and forty something something million for four years, with most of it guaranteed. He had a hundred and seven million guaranteed. So Wilson kind of trending down in Seattle. Seattle wants this, and they wait till you get to the Seattle quarterback room. I mean, I you know it's that that's a little bit of a mystery in all this, but mm-hmm. that you know he sort of it seemed like he wanted a way out. Uh, Denver was one of these teams, very much like Indianapolis in our preview of the AFC South, that felt like they're a quarterback away from being a contender. So they went out and they got Wilson. And so the question is, does this now take Denver from being sort of an also-ran to a deep playoff run or a Super Bowl contender? You know, my numbers suggest no, but that's definitely the hope and that's definitely the story. Will Wilson be rejuvenated in Denver and take them to, you know, being at least competitive with Mahomes? Yeah, I think everybody likes the idea of Russell Wilson. I don't know how many people have watched Russell Wilson in recent seasons for Seattle. Russell Russell Wilson, I think people are imagining the quarterback that won the Super Bowl for the Seattle Seahawks. They had those new uniforms, the same ones they wear today. But that was 2014, Mike. They beat the Denver Broncos 43 to 8. 2014, this year will be the 2023 Super Bowl. So nine years, nine seasons between those two. That's probably a different guy. And if you look at the stats, he's certainly performed at a different level. I know a lot of people have attributed that to different coaching staffs, different offensive lines, different receiver groups. We'll find out in Denver if how much of a contribution he's able to to make in turning that franchise around. Yeah, I'm I'm just pulling up his contract because the, you know, Spotrack also lists the age of the player as well. And so, you know, he's a free agent after 2023. So, he'd be looking at being a 36-year-old player going into 2024. Right? So, so again, he's He's in an interesting position, right? It's like, and again, I think Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers have really spoiled NFL fans in terms of people thinking there isn't going to be a drop off in quarterback production. But does Wilson get another? So, you know, from Wilson's perspective, he's going to a solid team tasked to take that team into the playoffs, make them a a tough division contender in a tough division. But, you know, he's also playing for his. Frankly, his last contract, I would think, right? Does he get another hundred million dollar kind of payday or hundred and fifty million dollar payday, or is he a backup in in two years or retired? Yes, and you mentioned earlier in this podcast that running quarterbacks tend to have more of a drop off as they age than the traditional pocket passers. Russell Wilson was a four or five. 40 guy out of college that that is a very long time ago at this point but you wonder how much his value has already diminished and how much more likely it is you know is it going to be exponential here toward on the later side of his career relative to a guy like tom brady we'll find out yeah okay and you know so overall you like this division doug you like this division as a i love it because i wouldn't be shocked it's like the one team I don't see winning it is the Raiders. 
And they're right there, though. They're right there. With, I mean, they they have a technically better chance than the Chargers or Broncos. And so the quarterback stories, Mahomes. Well, let me let me ask you that because I, I feel the same way, and it's almost because it seems like the Raiders are the least interesting. Of the <laughs> I think teams that's what it is in the quarterback story. And, well, and it goes back to the quarterback stories, right? We we love to talk about Mahomes. We love to talk about Russell Wilson. The, the Los Angeles Chargers, of course, yeah. Justin Herbert is one of the more exciting young players in the league. The Raiders, at this point, Derek Carr, uh, he's been with one team, but he feels like a journeyman. He feels like a, a placeholder quarterback, a guy that can, he can get you to the playoffs, and that's as far as it's going to go. And so the upside that you have with a guy like Justin Herbert or Russell Wilson, and of course, Patrick Mahomes, makes your team seem more exciting and seem like a better team than the Raiders, although the Raiders are, are better than two of those three teams last year. Yeah, I can almost imagine that, well, you know, and I don't know this, but I can almost imagine that fans in that division are getting a little bit bored with Kansas City's dominance. Yeah. So it'd be interesting if there was a team that would challenge them. Now, even though I've got, even though I've got the Raiders pick number two in this division, and again, you know, you always got to be careful as how much of sort of your fan nature biases you towards wanting to sort of disregard the numbers. If a team challenges Kansas city in this, in this division, even though I've got the Raiders at number two, I don't think it's going to be the Raiders. I think it's most likely to be Justin Herbert with the second option. And in fact, I could see, you know, Russell Wilson having a little bit of a youth moment and, you know, some excitement in Denver that that could be the second challenge. So mm -hmm. it's um, in some ways it'd be great for, in some ways it would actually be really good. I think for Mahomes to have an in-division rival, obviously yeah. I think that would have to be Herbert in the long term, right. but maybe right. Russell in the short term. Yeah. Herbert's definitely the one positioned for that. The Broncos fan base is the, the fan base that most feels like we could win the Super Bowl this year with the addition of Russell Wilson. And I think a huge part of that, a huge reason for that is the fact that they had success with Peyton Manning very late in his career at a point where I felt like they could have won that Super Bowl with just about anyone at quarterback. I didn't feel like quarterback was the difference maker because the defense was so good. I think Wade Phillips was the defensive coordinator on that team. Vaughn Miller at linebacker. They had one of the best defenses in recent memory in the NFL. But in retrospect, everyone thinks, well, we had a good team, a, a team that was kind of fringe playoff team. We added Peyton Manning. We won the Super Bowl. Right now, we're, you know, last, last year, seven-win team, like decent team, just didn't have a quarterback. We add Russell Wilson, and who knows? Maybe we could do it again. So Broncos fans are feeling optimistic right now. Maybe overly optimistic looking at their division, looking at what they're up against. But I think it's a great division. We talked last week about the AFC South being one of the more boring or, or less interesting divisions, probably because of quarterback play. The AFC West is one of the most interesting divisions for the same reason. Yeah, last thing I want to do is I'm going to pull up um, just a little bit of a spot check of my forecast versus ESPN and NFL.com, see if I've got any significant uh deviations while i sort of scroll through that data you got any last words last thoughts on this one last thoughts on this one i think we've we've covered this division pretty well i'll, I'll go off 
track a little bit here. I love to talk because we're a fandom analytics website. I love to always throw in something that's fandom but not sports fandom. And so for this podcast, I'll say Stranger oh, Things. Oh, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I wanted to predict what it was going to be. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I've actually got two things here. So Stranger Things coming out, Mike, uh, the, the final episodes today, July 1st, as we're taping, because Monday is when we would normally take, but it's the 4th of July and, and we're celebrating America, but we also take no days off. Um, with the podcast no weeks off so we got next week's podcast this week but yeah stranger things coming out i'm really excited to see that i'm excited to see the phenomenon continue across the country i'm a little sad though that it's going to be two years probably before i see the continuation of this story so stranger things mike still you have some catching up to do but doug you don't have to watch them all this weekend right i mean you could uh, but you you could you could stretch it out there's only two episodes left. I'm not going to stretch those two. Of course, they're like an hour and a half each. It's like a movie. Okay. Um, okay. One more thing, Mike, because I, I felt like you would be interested in this. I don't know if you saw this, but Squid Game is... Oh. They're going to have uh, an American version that's a real game show for mm. Americans. And <laughs> Mike's face, Mike's shaking his head. Um, I don't know if people realize that that game... Or that that show was a social criticism of a lot of things, including economic conditions. And so I think I find it a little bit humorous that they're doing a real one and people are all excited about it. I, to the best of my knowledge, they're not going to annihilate the losers of the show, but there is going to be a huge cash prize. But Mike, I was thinking maybe you and I, we apply to get on there, see what we can do, make some noise. I think there's the same number of contestants, so hundreds of people competing in these children's games. I think we could bring in some money for the podcast and really up our our budget for next year with a little Squid Game victory. Do with they one of have us. to? Uh, we could do, team up. Do they, do they have to sleep in and bunks? Yeah, in, in a gymnasium. <laughs> I probably, but you could be you could be the old guy, and I you know I could be the the protagonist guy that and backstab each other as they got close. Ba- like well, yeah, at the very end. Well, hey, if we make it down to the two of us, we can just agree on the front and split it. Because they're not actually killing people, to the best of my knowledge, like I said. Okay, so looking at the differences in the forecast from ESPN and the NFL and the QB wins approach, um, there's actually some significant deviations here. I tend to like Kansas City more than the other two organizations. It's um, sort of surprising to me. ESPN has Kansas City forecasted at only 9.4 wins. I think they're, they're... their reasoning has got to be Tyreek Hill. Is well, that what they're... I, I mean, this is the thing, right? They're running these simulations, and I oh, don't okay. know... This, this like, is an actual simulation. Statistically, yeah, this well, isn't somebody's gut. And that's what's kind of great about it, is like, as soon as you say where they're running these simulations, people just say, okay, I get that, and that's fine. But there should be a follow-up question of, well, wait, how does the simulation change when yeah. Tyreek Hill leaves? Right. What are you actually doing different? I mean, are you building the mo- and, and this is where the details are almost always left out. Are you changing, let's say, the value of that position group? Are there, you know, forecast? You know, what are the forecasting models? What are the assumptions? That stuff is never included. But yeah, that would seem to be the obvious thing that they don't like. You know, the the loss of Tyreek Hill. Let's see who else do we got here. They like the Chargers more than I do. And, you know, so the NFL.com has the Chargers at 10.4 wins 
So the NFL is forca- NFL is forecasting the Chargers above the um, above Kansas City. It's it's sort of a, a little bit surprising. And, and and that being said, you know, I could definitely see that because if I'm trying to forecast or guess where Herbert's going to go, I easily could have said, you know, on this guy's trajectory, he's going to be a two win quarterback and sort of get him at that level. Hmm. You know where the biggest deviation, one of the biggest deviations in all the data is the NFL loves the Las Vegas Raiders and actually has them at 11 and a half wins versus my so the, having them at 10 wins. So they have the Raiders winning that division. The one team that you and I said, you just can't see it. Yep. <laughs> and in fact, and again, so look, I'll, I'm going to publish all of the forecasts from myself and the ESPN and the NFL. Um, ESPN also likes the Raiders to win that division. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. If my relatively simple approach of just looking at quarterback play and, you know, a few minor adjustments for competitive balance effects, how that turns out. Um, let's see the last one, Denver. Okay. The other two organizations like Denver a little bit more than I do, but, you know, looking at ESPN and the NFL, they they view this division as a toss up where I've still mm. got Kansas City at the top with a little bit of a real battle for positions two, three, and four. Yeah. Well, I'm keeping receipts, Mike, and I really can't wait for the season to see. It's either gonna be a, a huge dose of humble pie for analytics <laughs> host Mike Lewis, or we're we're gonna be feeling pretty good about ourselves over here. Mike Mike's uh potentially hey. onto something that puts ESPN's models to shame. So one way or the other it's going to be some entertainment for me we will completely score this out we'll look at the overall performance we'll do the look this is very much a applied research project from my perspective you know my ego is actually not all that wedded to this you know there's like a concept you take it to the data this is what comes out if it ends up working out better than the, the the simulation models, that's great. If it ends up doing a little bit worse, that's kind of interesting too in terms of – now, the, the problem I'll have with that, and maybe if there's one reason why I want to come out ahead of them, is because these simulation models – Doug, I'll be honest with you. It kind of annoys me, and, and this is maybe a little bit unfair because I haven't put a lot of details on the web of how the QB wins stat is generated. Mm-hmm. I've just sort of talked about the basic approach, right. but I truly have no idea how their simulations work, right? I mean, I can make guesses and I can speculate, but they provide so few details that I that it's hard for me to even assess what they're actually what they're actually doing. That's so it, part, it'd be nice me, if something simple and public works. Yeah, part of me thinks it's the old ninety eight point two percent of statistics are made up approach. Yeah, I, I mean, you could literally it, just, sit, just have a guy sit there and say, "Oh, eight point six wins for for the Chiefs. Why not?" It sounds about I mean, right. I, what it that's what probably it not it, but who's is, to say? I mean, you think about how a game like you know when when the player ratings come out for something like Madden, right? And you can almost imagine that if you got all the player ratings for Madden, and you build a statistical model and figure out you know the power ratings for the for various teams based on the player ratings, it could be something, it could be something like that. Mm-hmm. Now the, the challenge is always, 
how do you actually go from one season? And so that it seems, well, this is very scientific. This is very precise. We're using these player ratings that are based on the previous dating data. But you always end up with these dilemmas of, well, how do you take player rating from last year and project it to, to next year, right? Yeah. And it's, you know, this stuff can be, and the challenge, you know, as an academic, no one is publishing any of the details of what they're doing, mm-hmm. right? And so it's, like I said, a black box is the right way to look at this. Yeah. Okay, Doug, anything else uh, on your radar? Otherwise, we can uh, turn off the mics now and we can come back next week, 4th of July. Well, <laughs> this will be airing the week of the 4th of July. And we'll yeah. get into, and this is going to be a fun one, the NFC East is where we'll start. Oh, let's go. That's and the mine. NFC East will always be a great division to talk to. Because, like, you know, the brands are so strong and the you know, the histories are so deep that it's nothing but fun when you get into those. Two the brands are so strong, like classic brands like the Washington Commanders. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to that one, Mike. Okay, so as always, uh, more content at www.fandomanalytics.com, and we'll talk to you next week.